You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, in recent days, we've been in this series called Tribe City, and it's all about friends and relationships. And so how about you turn to someone next to you and tell them, I'll be there for you. Good. Well, relationships were the subject of uh, a 75-year study that was done at Harvard called the Grant and Gluck Study. And what they did, they tracked the physical and emotional well-being of two populations of people, over 450 poor men and also over 250 Harvard graduates, men who had graduated from Harvard. And since before World War II, they've been tracking and analyzing blood samples, brain scans, surveys, and actual interactions with both of these groups of men. And the conclusion, according to uh, Robert Waldinger, who was the director of the Harvard study, was simply this. The clearest message we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. That's why it's been so significant for us to have this Tribe City series is because uh, here in the family of God, in the tribe of God, we've got to have smaller tribes of people that we can count on that are our close relationships that help each other. It's not how much you have in your 401k. It's not how many people follow your blog post. It's not how many companies that you've started or how much power you wield, but it's simply your relationships that matter the most. In fact, the, uh, the biggest predictor of your happiness and fulfillment overall in life is basically love and relationships. And specifically, th- this study demonstrated having someone to rely on helps your nervous system relax It helps your brain stay healthier for longer. It helps reduce both emotional as well as physical pain. And so the data is clear. Those who are lonely uh, actually are not as healthy, and they die sooner. And if you continue to look at this study, it's not just the number of friends you have or whether or not you have a close personal relationship, uh, but it's this. It's the quality of your close personal relationships that matter. And that's why today we're going to study in the Bible how to have uh, really good, close, personal relationships. And this truth is given a bit of a comedic spin in the Meet the Parents movies in the Circle of Trust. Some of you remember the scene where there's the circle drawn and you're either inside or outside uh, the circle of trust here. Now, what I've heard a lot of people say is, you know, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman and uh, I kind of... Uh, set my own destiny. And certainly it's true that we make our choices and we have to live with those choices. And sometimes those choices are good and we have a good result and sometimes they're bad and we have a bad result. But here's what you got to understand. You're not just the sum of your own personal choices. When you're a little kid, you grow up in your family and you're basically what your family shapes you into being when you're small. And then as you grow up, you're really influenced by your friends and relationships. In fact, you're in a career that was perhaps influenced by friends and relationships. You're in a job, you have particular romantic interests because of the people around you, your friends, see? So our relationships are just that significant. Now, one of the things that I've seen over the years, and I've tried to follow Christ, and I've talked to a lot of Christian people, is that Christian people are really quick to jump on guilt. Man, if there's guilt out there, Christians will find it somewhere, right? And so what happens is we think, well, you know, I don't want to have just a small inner circle 
of friends because, after all, God loves everybody, and I'm supposed to love everybody, but here's the difference. God is eternal, and I hate to break it to you, but we are not, okay? Uh, We are finite creatures, and we can only have so many relationships in our lives. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, he had 72 people that he trained up to minister and sent out, 72 friends there. And then of the 72, he had 12 disciples that he spent most of his time with to pour into and to train. And out of the 12 disciples, there were three guys that he hung out with the most, Peter, James, and John. And of those three, he had one best friend, John. The Bible calls John the disciple whom Jesus loved. So even Jesus had a smaller inner circle of close, trusted relationships and friends. And here's why, because Jesus understood that the way that you and I are created is that we are made to thrive, and we will not thrive unless we learn to create, cultivate, and continue in our, uh, with our inner circle friends. Let me repeat that because it's so significant. You and I will not thrive unless we learn to create, cultivate, and continue with our inner circle friends. So we're going to see this in the Bible story that we're going to drill down on and explore today. And in the story, there are going to be three characters, okay? The first character in the story is Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. He was a great warrior. He was a very handsome man. And so when you think about Saul, think like Thor with kind of like a bad self-esteem and a little bit insecure. This is Saul. Um, Now, his son was a second significant character in the stories that we're going to look at today. And his son's name was Jonathan. Jonathan was quite a warrior as well. He was a brilliant guy. In fact, Jonathan was so wise that his father would ask him for advice when making battle plans and in running his kingdom. And certainly that's not true with a lot of us. Our dads don't ask us for advice. They think we're wingnuts, right? They never will respect us. But uh, Jonathan's dad, Saul, respected his opinion so much that he would ask him for advice. But then the third character in our story is David. He was the guy, popular guy in the Bible, killed the giant as a teenager. He was growing in his popularity in Israel. In fact, the people wanted David to be the king. He's known as the giant slayer. And they had this little slogan. They would say, well, Saul's killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. See what's happening there Uh, is that the people are recognizing that there's this rising star in the kingdom. So the context of our story today is that as David is becoming increasingly popular, Saul is becoming increasingly jealous. See, So Saul is one of these guys that um, he becomes so jealous that in his mind he's plotting how he can kill David and take out the competition there in the kingdom. So he invited David to come and stay at his home, to stay at the king's palace. And in scene one, we're going to see in our story, we're going to see the creation of inner circle friends. Look at me at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And I want to make a couple of observations about this particular text. One is that you cannot... Uh, plan 
when you're going to meet an inner circle friend, a best friend. Sometimes it just happens. I mean, it's not like you can put out some application on the internet, you know, best friend, you know, looking for a best friend, someone that's loyal, someone that's really cool and likes the Spurs, you know, all this kind of, you can't do that kind of thing. Sometimes it just happens, doesn't it? It happens in some unlikely situations. In this unlikely situation for David, I mean, he was like, um, you know, he had this jealous leader above him and God brought him this inner circle friend, he, he couldn't control when it would happen. This past year, um, I made an inner circle friend, and it kind of took me by surprise. I met Jake, our worship leader, and when we met, I looked at him, and I caught my head. I was like, you have a really cool haircut. It's similar to mine. Uh, you have some really cool nerdy glasses, similar to mine, right? Uh, then I learned uh, that he met his wife in Spanish class at a Christian college. I met my wife in a Spanish class in Christian college, and I named my first son, my, my son River. He named his son Rivers. I mean, it keeps getting weirder, right? It's like I find out that his grandmother and my mom went to high school together in another state. It's just getting weirder. I'm like, you like poopies? I like poopies too. I mean, everything you said you'd like to do, I like to do every day. See? Love it. Dang. Yeah, you have your fun. Have your fun. (laughs) But the similarities just continued, but it's kind of cool when you meet an inner circle friend. In Jonathan David's case, um, when they met, surprisingly, They did what we call a DTR. Uh, That stands for define the relationship. And my suggestion is in all of your relationships, you define the relationship so that expectations can be met. Because for some of you, you expect a certain person to be an inner circle friend, and inner circle friends are of a higher commitment level than just an acquaintance, right? And so defining the relationship is significant. And the way that it happened here is that Jonathan gave gifts to David as a symbol of their inner circle relationship and friendship, gifts. See, your inner circle friends are givers, not moochers. Some of you have had inner circle friends who were moochers and they were like relational leeches that like sucking the relational life out of you. Doesn't mean, you know, inner circle friends, there's give and take, right? But, um, but you don't want a moocher as an inner circle friend, and Jonathan was clearly a giver, but it, the, the things that he gave were significant. He didn't just give any old gift, but he gave him his tunic, uh, his robe, his bow, and his belt. These were military things. So what he's saying there is that David, uh, even though I am Saul's son, even though I am the rightful heir to the throne, I submit my military and relational allegiance to you as the rightful king. That's why he gave him uh, his military gear. Um, So inner circle friends are people who are givers to you, not moochers. In recent days, my family and I have been going through a difficult time as there's been a bit of a health crisis in the family. My wife, Jeannie's dad, my father-in-law, Uh, has been diagnosed with cancer. He's gone through radiation and chemo, uh, and that did not work. The cancer is spreading, and he's been given less than a year to live. And my wife wanted to be up in Missouri for a very critical doctor's appointment, but we couldn't afford a plane ticket to go up there. And one of my inner circle friends found out about this need and got a ticket that I couldn't afford Uh, for my wife to fly up there and be with her mom and dad in that difficult situation. 
This is what inner circle kinds of friends do. And you know, David probably taught his son Solomon some of these lessons that he learned throughout this season of his life. And Solomon wrote down all these proverbs or these wise sayings about relationships and friendships. And one of the things that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18.24 was, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. A real friend's closer than a brother. So it's almost as if uh, he's saying here that there are some inner circle relationships that are actually closer than siblings, closer than biological family. And that proverb was written in a culture that was way more family-oriented than ours is. And the reason for that, the reason that uh, an inner circle friend can be closer than family members is that your family members have to be nice to you out of obligation, right? They have to be nice to you, don't they? But a friend chooses you. A friend chooses you to be loyal to you, to be faithful to you, to stick with you through thick and thin. So let's look at scene number two, and we're going to see the cultivating of an inner circle friend. First, we have to create our inner circle friendships, but then we have to cultivate them. Now, when you cultivate anything, if you cultivate a field to grow crops, you have to churn it up. You have to stir it up with the farm tools, right? You have to churn up the dirt so that it's fertile and can be uh, farmed in, and that's true of relationships sometimes as well. You know, there's one proverb where it says, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And sometimes that means there's clashing or conflict in the midst of the relationship when you have to speak hard truths to each other. And there are times in, uh, to be an inner circle friend where we have to tell people the things that they don't want to hear. And sometimes that means plowing up the relational ground. Look at Proverbs 27.6. It says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And look, if you have friends that tell you what you want to hear all the time and never shoot you straight, they're not an inner circle friend. Because an inner circle friend is willing to shoot straight with you even if you don't want to hear it. If someone keeps the truth that you need to hear from you, they're betraying you with a kiss, much like Judas did to Jesus when he betrayed him. But the thing about cultivating and speaking hard truth is it doesn't always go well, does it? We know this from experience. And let's look at a cultivating truth conversation that Jonathan had to have with his very own father, Saul, in 1 Samuel 19.4. It says, but the next morning, uh, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him being David. The king, look at the conflict here. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time when he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. Isn't it sad that a son has to go to his father and confront him about his hatred and violent attitude and his jealousy? And because of this, even though Jonathan continued to submit to his king and submit to his father and honor him, he had to remove his own father, his own kin, from his inner circle because of Saul's sin. But one of the cool things about Jonathan is that he is not someone that allows this type of thing to affect his personal 
attitude. He did not take on the ways of Saul here. And we see in some of the wisdom literature that David's son Solomon would write later some characteristics of inner circle friends. Let me show you a few of them. Um, And by the way, these are people that you want to remove from your inner circle. Because I can't help but believe that some of you have been brought here today because God wants to show you someone who's currently in your inner circle that needs to be removed. And one of them is the lazy person. Look at Proverbs 18.9. A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. And a lazy person will destroy things in your life. A lazy friend. Then the second thing is a person who gives bad and unbiblical advice. Proverbs 12.26. The godly give good advice to their friends the wicked lead them astray. Look, some of you are taking advice from people that are basing that advice on internet memes and pleasantries and things that they think up in their own mind. And the, the, the inner circle friends that you want are the ones that are seeking to know the word of God and speak to you the wisdom that comes from this word that will help your life. Not just these things that they make up as wisdom or something that they saw on a sitcom or a website, see? The third type of friend you want to watch out for is the angry person. Proverbs 22, 24, don't befriend angry people or associated with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. So lazy people, uh, bad unbiblical advice, and angry people are the ones that you may need to consider removing from the inner circle. And when you cultivate, fruit is born in your own soul. See, for Jonathan, uh, when he was in the midst of trying to cultivate the right kind of relationship with his dad and cultivate a relationship with David, good fruit was born in his soul. And one of the reasons that I know that is because throughout this whole interaction, this whole story, Jonathan never dishonors his dad. And I could picture teenagers hearing this message and they're like, oh, well, my dad's a Saul, my mom's a Saul because uh, they don't let me do what, what, what I want to do, right? And so they're just a Saul, and so I'm just going to write them off. But look, it doesn't matter if your folks are Saul's. We honor our parents. And David and, and Jonathan continued to honor Saul throughout this whole story, even though he was wrong. They honored him and submitted to him. And, and David especially, I mean, think about this. Saul was trying to kill David, and David still would not dishonor the king. And I want to show you that as I take you to the cave at En Gedi in the Bible. And this was an interesting story to me. David and his men had to run from Saul, remember, because Saul was trying to kill him. And they're hiding out in this cave. And as they're in there, something weird happens. They're hiding out in a cave. And all of a sudden, Saul and his men start coming into the cave. And they hide. They go further back into the cave to hide. And Saul and his men are there, and they're like, dang it, what are we going to do now? They're right here in the cave. And then Saul and his men fall asleep. They lay down. They're going to camp out there in the cave for the night. And David's men, they're like nudging him. Dude, there he is right there. They're all asleep. You kill him. You, You take him out. Kill him right now. And we won't have to continue to live on the run like animals. And David's like, nope, I'm not going to kill him. Now, David was a little bit ornery, and he walks up to Saul in his sleeping bag, He lifts up the corner, the hem of his garment, and cuts off the corner of Saul's garment. What's going on there? We'll talk about that here uh, in just a second. But I had some questions about this story in my own mind because I thought to myself, you know, as David's men, if they're talking to him in a cave, 
then why didn't Saul hear him and wake up? And why didn't one of Saul's men wake up? Why, how could that go down? Well, I, I had to answer my question, so I went to Israel, and I went to the cave at En Gedi, and it's, uh, it's a desert area out there. It's kind of an interesting place because um, there's these springs that come up, and they flow, and it creates like an oasis in the desert. And if you look at this area, this may not be the exact cave. We don't know for sure the exact cave at En Gedi, but there are a couple of caves there that have these waterfalls that come down, and it's so loud outside of the cave that you can't hear people talking. And so can you imagine how loud it is inside the cave with these waterfalls coming down? So certainly uh, Saul would not have heard David and his men having a conversation uh, there. Uh, But what's the deal with David cutting off the corner of Saul's robe there, his garment? Well, what that represents is Saul's authority. So on the edge of the garment in Jewish culture, people in spiritual authority often had these uh, little things called tzitzis. They're a little tassel on the edge. So tzitzit, that's kind of fun to say, isn't it? The way you spell it is tzit, tzit, you know? So I want you to turn someone next to you and tell them tzitzit. <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? I could tell. That was fun. So remember, to give you a feel for what this is all about, um, fast forward, change channels in your mind, Jesus, for a minute. And when Jesus walked the earth, remember there was this woman who had a bleeding problem, right? She had a health problem. And she came up to Jesus and she touched the edge of his garment and she was healed, wasn't she? Well, why'd she get healed? Well, because she knew the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would have healing in his wings. His wings are his sitzi, the the hem of his garment. And so by faith, when she touched his sitzi, she was healed. So what's David doing in that cave? David was cutting off Saul's tzitzi. So what he's saying by that, it's a symbolic act that your authority is being cut off because you've chosen the ways of violence and jealousy and hatred, see? So let's uh, take a look at uh, the uh, the next thought in the story, and that is when David is refusing to take Saul's life, he's refusing to become something. He's refusing to become what we're going to call an Absalom. Now, not everybody knows what an Absalom is, but an Absalom is like a younger version of a Saul. And years later, after uh, Saul was gone, David had these sons, and one of the sons' name was Absalom. And Absaloms are always undercutters, usurpers, like I said on this slide, he subtly undercuts a good leader. And what Absalom did when his dad David was the king was he would stand around at the gate and he would say, hey, look, I know my dad can't get to you and all your problems, but if I were the king, I would listen. It would be all good. I would take care of everyone. You see what he's doing there? He's trying to undercut a perfectly good authority. Look, we're in a culture where everybody likes to stick it to the man, don't they? But just because someone's a manager at work or in a place of authority doesn't mean they're a bad person, and that was true of David. He had a good heart. So an Absalom is that person who's in the office, and some of you are managers in the office, and you'll have some new younger person come into the office, and they want to undercut you and make you look bad, and you know why they want to do that, because they want you to get fired and take your job and make more money. See, this is an Absalom, and David refused to become an Absalom, because an Absalom is just a younger version of a Saul. 
see. Now look at th scene three, and we're going to see the continuing of inner circle friends. In the context of this is the cave incident happened, and I guess Saul felt kind of bad that David could have killed him. He knew it because David showed, it's like, okay, I got, you know, later on he shows him his seat Z, the, the edge of his garment, and he's like, I could have killed you, dude, but I didn't kill you, dude. Okay, you're still alive. And so Saul's like, okay, David, I won't kill you now. But the thing about Saul's is they can't make up their mind. They're double-minded, right? And so Saul was like, okay, David, I'm not going to kill you. And then he changes his mind again. Okay, I'm going to kill you again. And then he felt bad again. He said, no, I'm not going to kill you. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to kill you again. So David didn't know whether he could trust Saul because Saul's are double-minded and unstable. You can't trust what they say, see? So because of this, David is having to flee town and get away. And because of this, anytime he was going to have a conversation with Jonathan, the son of the king, they had to have the conversation in secret. Jonathan could not let his father know that he was having a conversation with David. And so what happened was, is Jonathan went out to shoot his bow, uh, and, and he took this little errand boy with him. And Jonathan rears back on his bow, and he's about to shoot the arrow. He shoots the arrow, and he's like, go long, kid. You know, go get the arrow. And he shoots it as far as he could. It's a long ways down there. When the kid runs off, David comes out. They have this conversation. Look at 1 Samuel 20, 40, 41. As soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he'd been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, David said to, uh, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left, and Jonathan returned to town. And what we see are a couple of things here. Number one is that with your inner circle friends, you can be emotionally honest. You see what happened here? These men knew that they would not be able to see each other for a long time or perhaps forever. And they embraced and they cried. They had a good dude cry, like when a couple of guys are watching Rudy or Field of Dreams or something like that, right? And they just hugged it out, you know? And they made a commitment. The Bible says that the bond between us is not just us, but it's for our children forever, forever, right? forever is our bond, see? We're gonna stick it out forever. Um, and that is exactly what happened. Because as years passed, Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And David became the rightful king of Israel. And one of the first things that he did was he sent his men to look for any remaining relatives of Jonathan. And they found one young man. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was disabled. His legs did not work. And when the King David's men came to Mephibosheth's house, I imagine he was nervous. I imagine he was afraid, thinking, oh, he's come to kill any potential rivals to the throne. But instead of getting killed, David's men took Mephibosheth to the king's castle, to the king's table, where he was asked to come and eat dinner every single night. You know, when you're sitting at a table, your legs don't show. And his brokenness was hidden at the king's table, and he had dignity. Because our king is one who gives dignity to the broken. 
doesn't he? And this was David's commitment to his friend Jonathan expressed to his son forever, forever. That's the kind of friend he was. That's the kind of inner circle relationship these two men had. And you know one of the things I think is interesting is to compare David and Jonathan's relationship with Jesus and John's relationship. See, just like David had his John, Jesus had his John as well. And just as David continued to serve his friend even after death, so when Jesus was dying on the cross for my sins and for yours, paying for the sins of the world, he was also able to rely on his inner circle friend to take care of his mother, Mary. When he dying on the cross said, this is your son, this is your mother, and John would take care of Mary for the rest of her life on earth because that's what inner circle friends do. We care for each other and our families and our kids for the rest of our lives as much as we can, see. And you know, years after David and his whole family died, one would come through the family line of David, and of course we know that's Jesus. And Jesus' friendship is more significant than any other inner circle friend, isn't it? And that's why, you know, you always think to yourself at the end of the service, the end of the talk here, how are they going to get to talking about Jesus? Well, there's always a path to the cross from any text in the Bible, and we're going to land at Jesus and the cross even today. Is it the way you get into a relationship with God? It's through Jesus, and it's simple. Perhaps God brought you here for the purpose of starting a relationship with himself today, and all you have to do to receive that relationship, to create the best inner circle friend that you could ever have is to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And look, he will never leave you or forsake you. Even when you screw up and fall down, he will love you and he will pick you up. He is absolutely faithful to you, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so if you don't have a relationship with him and you would like a relationship with him, I'd like to uh, take you to him in prayer now and just talk to him about it. And perhaps someone would like to pray to him something like this in your own heart and mind. God, look, I know I've screwed up and sinned, but right now in this moment, the best I know how, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I know you paid the penalty for sin for me, and I welcome you into my life. Father, thank you. God, thank you that you've come into my life. Others of us perhaps want to pray something like this. God, by your spirit, you have prompted me that there's someone in my inner circle that needs to be removed. And I pray that you'd give me the courage to do that, but also the grace in that so that I do not dishonor a person in the midst of creating distance. God, thank you for the people that you've brought into my inner circle who are my friends. Thank you for those gifts. You've been so kind to me to give me such good friends. And God, if you'd like to provide a best friend for me, I welcome that. And until I meet that person who's gonna be like 
my next inner circle friend. I want to become that kind of person to others by being faithful, wise, hardworking, trustworthy, generous. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.